God is so good. Well, happy Father's Day to the fathers. And some of you might not be married yet, but celebrate your future. Amen. Who knows? Maybe you'll have babies. Maybe you won't. But I know one thing. There's a need for good fathers. And fathers have been so, in many ways, beat up and cast out and thrown down and not listened to. And some fathers have not been great fathers. And some fathers have been great fathers. But at the same time, if we didn't have a dad, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. Even if you don't know your dad, we still should bless him. Even if your dad wasn't perfect, which none are, we should still bless them. And we should thank them in our own hearts for birthing, being a part of the birthing process. Everyone says, well, they didn't birth. The women birthed. You're right, exactly. Hey, are we okay? You're just all staring at me. And Okay, so let, let me ask some Bible trivia here. What kind of person was Boaz before he got married? Ruthless. Come on. Come on. Get it? Ruthless. Who was the most savvy woman in the Bible? Pharaoh's daughter, who went down to the bank of the Nile and pulled out a little prophet. She went to the bank and pulled out profit. Do we get it? Where's the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? When Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. Oh, boy. Trying to liven us all up. Who is the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the house down. Just take the lows, the bottom end out of my voice, okay? Mids and lows. I have a deep, deep voice. Which servant of God was the worst lawmaker in the Bible? Moses. He broke all ten commandments at once. <laughs> this is just so dumb. Who is the greatest babysitter mentioned in the Bible? Goliath. Oh, sorry, David. He rocked Goliath to sleep. Need an ark? I know a guy. Are we getting tired of it yet? Which Bible character had no parents? Joshua, son of Nun. Okay. So we, we've Father's Day... Mother's Day, Father's Day, I'm excited that someone had the passion in their heart to celebrate. Because there are no perfect parents in the world other than Sharon and my, I'm sorry, no, uh, there are no perfect parents in the world. We just keep sounding like I'm hearing feed. But um, there are no perfect parents in the world. But there's a lot of parents trying to do the best they can. And this is what we need to celebrate. I love my mom and dad. They're both in heaven. They've passed away. But I honor the good that they sowed into me. I honor the good that they did and, and the effort that they worked at. Because being a parent now, I didn't know how to parent children. 
until I actually became a parent. I knew what my parents did. I knew what other parents did through, through people talking to me. But you actually never know how to parent a child until you have a child. And then you never know how to parent that child a one-year-old until they're one, or a two-year-old until they're two, or a three-year-old until they're three. And so sometimes, you know, we as, as sons and daughters of someone, we need to make sure that we are able to look past the faults or the things that maybe we wished would have happened but didn't happen. We have to look past it because if we don't, we, will, we won't be able to celebrate in the level and capacity that God called us to celebrate. I thank the Lord that we have a true father. And he is a father of all good things. He's not the father of sin. He created Lucifer and all the angels. They chose to sin. And how was that first sin recognized? They actually went against the father. They tried to become greater than the father is. And so I want to encourage us. My dad, I mean, he was born in 1916. He was old. My mom was born in 1918. And mom was almost 47 years old when I was born. Dad was 49. And they say complications can happen, and that could be part of my problem. I might have been starved of oxygen a little bit, and my mind went a little weird. I have no idea. But they chose to have kind of two families, like two sets. They had two sons. Uh, my oldest brother's 17 years older than I am, and my second oldest is 15 years older. And then there's a big space. And then my sister, Heather, uh, she's three years older, and then I'm the baby, which explains probably some of who I am, if you know me well. Right? Babies? The youngest ones? Who's the youngest one in here? And you're spoiled, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we need to honor the things that our parents did do, even if you don't know your parents, but someone has stepped into that gap and become a mother or father. Even to the point where, you know, in our culture, we we really believe and promote the family. And in the family, there's a spiritual family as well, too. And we're all a spiritual family here as part of this ministry, as part of Windward, as part of the body of Christ. We have spiritual family all around the world. And at the same time of honoring our, our earthly fathers, I love to honor our spiritual fathers as well. And so we need, to, I want to encourage us that we need to step forward in the culture of honor in our lives and connect with people that maybe wronged you and forgive them. Better yet, forgive them before you connect with them. Forgive them as our Father did for us, forgave us before any of us were ready for forgiveness. And none of us deserved it. But through his great love, he sent his Son, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ in us, we have the ability to forgive others before we even think they're forgivable. And it's an important part. I've been going through the Beatitudes, and uh, I call them be 
attitude. In other words, be these attitudes. It's a message that Jesus brought to his disciples, and it was a powerful message. And not you don't hear a lot of preaching on it all the time, but I've spent the last five messages on Beatitudes 1 to 5. And today we're going to move into Beatitude 6, but I just want to refresh us. If you weren't here, you can go on to our website, windward.ca, or our YouTube channel, or Windward uh, TV, and watch them. Beatitude 1 was of self-minded poverty. And we're going to go through these real quick, just to refresh our minds. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're to live in self-minded poverty, that... I can't do this without him. That's called self-minded poverty. That's poor in spirit. I I actually have a a tremendously powerful spirit of God in me, and he's not poor. But my human nature, my human spirit needs to be poor. And if it becomes poor, he becomes great, and we start to walk as blessed people on this earth. Poor in self-spirit brings us into the riches of his kingdom, and this is the first attitude towards happiness. Many times, unhappiness is found because we're not poor in spirit. And so if you're unhappy about something, we have to become poor in spirit to be blessed. Blessedness always brings joy. How many times, if you've received a blessing, are you sad? Blessed and poor in spirit means that if you're sad, you need to be poor in that sadness spirit. In other words, don't live in poverty of sadness. Instead, transform your understanding and receive the blessing and the favor of God into our lives so we can be in the joy and happiness of him in us. Be attitude two is Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The mourning that Jesus is talking about is not self-pity or the bitter cry of a victim. Poor me, poor me. No, that's not what he's talking about. The mourning that he is talking about is the culprit or the guilty from the direction of our sin to the light. Guess who is mourning in my life? My sinful nature is mourning. Why? Because I'm no longer living in it. I'm going to the light. My my bad attitude, I'm still working on that a little bit, but I hope and pray that it's morning. My attitude changes in traffic. Does anybody have that? (laughs) Oh my goodness, it's people, does anyone realize they seem seem to be getting more aggressive? My goodness, and why are you pointing at me? Oh, oh, it's true, okay. I thought you're prophesying, but no, I'm just kidding. If I, if I do go whipping by you, just ignore it, okay? Just pray for Pastor Brent, okay? It's like, no, I'm just kidding. But it's like, it's, 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 I don't know, many of us have driven for many, many years, and I grew up that it was a privilege to have your driver's license. And there was a culture of honor between drivers. Does anybody remember this, if you're older? Where, remember, we used to sit at a stop sign, okay, go, and then they're saying, no, you go, no, 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 you go, oh, no, 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 you go, and then finally, okay, we both go, and then we all stop again, no, 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 you go, you know. When someone put their blinker on, we used to slow down to let them in. What do we do now? Speed up to close the gap. And then the car in front of us slams his brake on, and bam, 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 bam. Not a good Bam. 2 Corinthians 7.10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow 
This produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. This is, this is what Jesus is talking about. Beatitude 3 is an attitude of meekness. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek is to be humble, but yet it's submitted. It's gentle, yet strong. And remember, I used the example of like a racehorse. When it's in the pasture, uh, if it's in the corral or if it's in the, the, what do they call it, a pen, horse pen? A stall. If it's in the stall, you know, the horse is there. It can get agitated and aggravated, uh, you know, with different things. But the reality is when that horse gets pulled out and a bridle and a saddle gets put on its back, if it's a racehorse, I guarantee you it changes its nature. And it starts to use an inner strength that is yet bridled. And so when it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, that's true meekness. There's an inner strength that's bridled. Jesus was the meekest example we could know. And he didn't walk around on this earth like, Oh, it's okay. Yeah, you just hit me. You do this. You do that. Yeah, you can just do whatever you want. You know, no, no. Just look at when he overturned the tables in the temple. He didn't lose his meekness. He was still bridled. He was still held. But he went in with power and authority. But true meekness is knowing when to use it for the gain of the Lord and not to use it for the gain of self. Beatitude 4 is an attitude that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You want an answer in your life? If you need more filling of God, more filling of his presence, more filling of the Holy Spirit in you, there's your answer. Be righteous. Live a righteous lifestyle. Matthew 5, 20 says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying here is that unless your righteousness goes beyond the religious righteous law, the law to create righteousness, that was old covenant. New covenant is not a law to create righteousness. It's a relationship that exudes and fills us with righteousness. And it's not about fulfilling a law of a denominational status or, or a group or whatever, but it's also not about breaking the laws. And so when I go minister in other churches, they have maybe different structure than what we have here. Maybe their freedom's a little different. Maybe they do things different. I go in there not to change their, themselves to who I am. I go in to honor the culture of that family. And if they take their shoes off at the front door, I'll take my shoes off at the front door like we do here in Canada, right? But not every culture does that. I've done so many things trying to to, to accept the culture that they carry, even if sometimes I'm not in agreement necessarily of that culture, religious culture. But I'm not going to slam the daylights out of it. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. As soon as I start slamming the daylights out of a religious group, unless, and even if they, they're preaching heresy, I don't think we should slam it. I think we should just bring truth. But if we start slamming the church down the road, another one, the way they do it, you know, or the way they don't do it or whatever, we start to act like we're higher than them and we're more righteous than they are, which is exactly what the scripture is talking about. Do not be 
righteous in the righteousness, sorry, in the righteousness of what the Pharisees and Sadducees were. Hmm. Matthew chapter, Beatitude 5, attitude that shows mercy. I ministered on this last week. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy is not an attitude of receiving, but instead, mercy is from an attitude of giving. God first gave to us mercy so we could receive and obtain mercy. The first giver of mercy was God. He gave mercy to his son, Jesus. Jesus lived and he obtained the mercy of his father so he could live on this earth sinless. When he died on that cross, it was the mercy of the father for you and me and the mercy that Jesus obtained from his father to be able to die on the cross for your and my sins, even though you and I were far from deserving of it. That's called mercy. If you and I are to expect mercy, we must first obtain mercy. We obtain mercy of God through Jesus Christ obtaining mercy from his Father. We obtain mercy from what he's done for us. And out of that, mercy is now ready in ourselves to be given out to other people. Does that make sense? We must have an attitude of mercy. It's not for financial gain. It's not like, have mercy on me. Oh, we have scripture where have mercy on me, like the blind man. Absolutely. He was crying out. And the disciples, quiet, quiet. But Jesus was a man of mercy. And he finally turned around and healed this man. That's kind of like a mercy that I've received mercy. My tank is full of mercy from God. And I just can't walk past and ignore something that needs mercy even though they might be crying out for it. I just got this mercy in me. I remember in, uh, in Guatemala, we were there ministering, and, and we were on our way to a church service, and we were actually running a bit late to get there. It was a long drive, and, and I had the kids in the car, and I, I drove right past a man on the left side of the road. I could see he had no legs. And we drove right past him. And I'm processing. And all the kids, I could see them in, in my rearview mirror, and they were all looking and watching this man. And then I realized, hold it. Timing of the Lord is perfect. Timing of man comes and goes, but the timing of God is eternity. And I said to the kids, we should bless that man, shouldn't we? They said, yes, Daddy. We all turned around, and we went back. We gave him food that we had, and he was so thankful Gave him a little bit of money. He was so thankful. These are things that we need to have mercy because we receive mercy. We don't expect mercy from other people until we receive mercy from God. The sinners will expect mercy from whoever, from everybody, but Christian people, we get our mercy from God's mercy. And out of that, we become an avenue of mercy to the people. Amen? Be attitude six. An attitude that turns from sin. Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Huh. So to see God, we need to be pure in heart. You realize these beatitudes, they're optional in choosing 
how, what level you're going to live in them, but they're not optional in the established structure that they've created. So, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It doesn't say, blessed are the pure in heart, and you maybe will see God, or you might see God. It says, if you need to see God, then you need a blessed heart. And the heart is a, is a, is a of course, you know, for us, it's a lifeblood. Pretty hard to live in here without a heart. Who here has no heart? Just put your hand up. Well, some of you think your friend beside you has no heart, but that's, heart is a desire. It's a desire of your heart. It's like our soul, you know, our thoughts, our will, our emotions, our mind, our will, our emotions, your desire, the desire of your heart is what's happening here. Blessed are the pure in their desire. Blessed, blessed people live in the purity of their desire. That's what we're, we're interpreting in the scripture. And because of that purity that you desire in you every day, because of that purity, you will see God. We all were born in sin. We know that. And we've all sinned in this place. There's none pure, only God. He's the purest of pure. Jesus Christ is pure. Holy Spirit is pure. Most people live in continual sin. This is the problem. And this continual sin is, is one of the reasons that they also continually make bad choices because sin will create a selfish, me-only mentality. If you watch people that continually make bad choices, chances are there's a continual sin in their life. How do I know this? Because I counsel so many people. And usually the ones that are needing the counsel in, in, in a serious way have made bad choices. And because of the bad choices, there's probably a hidden sin or an exposed sin in that person's life. Are we getting this? I know you don't want to be hurt on Father's Day. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm, I, every time I preach, I preach to myself. You just happen to be ones hearing me preaching to me. And I know it's a sunny, hot day, and you all are staring at me like deer in the headlights. Is it hot in here? Are you guys hot? Yes and no. That's what we get. Yes? Yeah? Okay. Let's turn. So let maybe the ceiling vents on if someone can can do that. He didn't hear me. And uh, so what we need to do is we need to shuffle our understanding that if we actually want to see God in our life move in mighty ways, then we need to work on the purity of our heart, which is the purity of desire. So many people, they want God's will to be done. I mean, they come into my office and, you know, I just want to go after God. I just want, I want, actually, maybe they don't say that all the time, but they say, I want, I want God's will, but this is what I think we need to do, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and, and don't take the time to process and pray it through. Don't get the wisdom of counsel, and, and you know, guaranteed, if there are individuals that are continually in bad situations in their life, like I'm talking, I'm not talking, you know, hey, your husband left you. That's a, that's a combination of two people making choices. I'm talking about individually right now. You can't control someone else's choices, but you can control yours. I'm married 30 years. I can't control my wife's choices, but I can control mine. And, but the control of mine will actually 
uh, radically shift how I will receive her choices or not. So I, I choose to control mine. I have to go after the purity of my own heart, that my desires are pure. Because I know that as soon as my desires start to become impure, all of a sudden, favor starts to fall off. Problems start to happen in the life. Problems start to happen in the marriage. Problems start to happen in the job or the business. Problems start to happen in the families. And then you can sit there and let those problems affect you in such a way that you continually make bad choices. And then sometimes people will even say, you know what, I'm so depressed, I need to sin, it's okay, because I'm so depressed, it's going to help me out. Maybe that's excessive alcohol, maybe that's excess or drugs of some kind or something, and, and all of a sudden we self-medicate instead of being medicated by the Holy Spirit, we're going after false spirits to medicate us. All because... We're allowing someone else's decisions corrupt ours or our decisions corrupting ourselves. And we lose favor. And we start to spiral down, 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 deeper, deeper. And then we need antidepressant drugs. And then we need this and we need that. Why right now is this generation the highest antidepressant drug users ever in recorded history? Right now, I think it's every year or every two years, more antidepressant drugs are used than all of history leading up to these last two years. There used to be a few antidepressant drugs. If my memory is correct of an article I read, there's over 600 antidepressant drugs now. I think one of the medical books, uh, like 60% of it now is explaining antidepressant drugs or more. Why? Where did Jesus go? Where did God go? Where'd the Holy Spirit go? Yeah, but it's just stressful life. Actually, you know what? My parents, born in the early 1900s, lived a stressful life. You know what? The, the, the Mayaruna tribe in South, South America in the jungles of the Amazon that my dad founded, they lived a stressful life. They had no outside influence whatsoever. And they didn't live very long because it was a stressful life. Why? Well, it was either the jaguar is going to kill you or the, the, the crocodile or the boa constrictor or the, your, your neighbor or whatever. And their life expectancy, I think, was 42 years old, was a long-living Mayaruna. You know what? Back in the old days, if people didn't get their farm and the work their farm, they didn't eat. There wasn't, I mean, we, we think, well, it's so stressful. It is a stressful life, but why is it stressful? Do we have the right to blame society for what I need to take? No. I actually don't have the right to blame society for my problems and issues. Eesh. Because God chose me to live at this time and this hour. And my duty is to bring the joy of the Lord for strength, is to bring his word, and not just bring it by mouth, but live it by testimony. I'm not perfect. Close. I'm just kidding. I'm not perfect. <laughs> you who know me will definitely know that. My wife's nodding. Yeah, that's right. No, she's not. Pure in heart, how do we live pure in heart? 
We've been born in sin. We've all sinned. There's none pure but God. Most people live in continual sin. I mentioned this before. And they'll make bad choices. One of their bad choices was to continually sin. And that bad choice has made bad choices for life in different areas of life, I should say. A selfish me-only mentality. What we're being taught in North America right now is a me-only mentality. That you don't have the right to disagree with me, but I have the right to hold a sign and swear my head off in front of you. But you can't hold a sign peacefully, quietly. But all of a sudden, the left has the right to hammer the daylights out of you. But if we questioned one thing on that side, we'll we'll have a war coming back. It's a me, me attitude. And, And it's like fast food. How many of you know that if you're not getting good service, it's our right to complain? It used to be our right to get free McDonald's burgers. I remember back when they were timed. Yeah, they didn't get your order in a certain length of time. You got your meal for free. So I would go when the lineups were the longest. Imagine if we're standing in the Walmart and someone butt in front of us. Heaven forbid. Have mercy on that soul. That's me. I'm talking to myself, guys. I'm a type A driven personality. I'm, I love truth and I love fairness. And if I waited here this long, they should be waiting their time as well too, right? Is that kind of, does anyone agree or kind of see where I'm going with that one? An attitude that is quick to acknowledge our sin and bring it into the open is what we're talking about. Listen to this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the people that have an attitude to know that if sin happens in their life, they're quick to acknowledge they're wrong, that it's sinful, and bring it to the people that can help hold you in accountability. If we have this kind of an attitude, I guarantee you it will put blessings into our life. Psalms chapter 51, verse 10. Psalms 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Let's look at that again, verse 10. Here's David. How many of you know that David didn't live the best lifestyle in everything he did? He kind of screwed up a few times. But yet he's got a whole book that he wrote, and he's mentioned all through Scripture. I mean, God's mercy endures forever. It's not your past history that justifies or dictates your future. Not in Christianity. Your past history becomes the power of testimony, and you get to advance and move forward in the things that God has called you into. And you get to move forward with experience of what not to do. So you can look someone in the face and say, you know what? It didn't work for me. It's not going to work for you. 
and you're better than going down the path I went. Let me help you walk to the path that God's called you to. So we look at that scripture. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Here is David crying out, O God, create in me a clean heart. O God, renew a steadfast spirit in me. You want a clean heart? Get a steadfast spirit. Get a spirit that holds fast. Get a spirit that is stronger than your human spirit. Get a spirit that is stronger than the spirits of this world. And I know that spirit. His name is Holy. It's not alcohol spirit. It's not drug spirit. It's not Jezebel spirit. It's not Pilate. All these names of these spirits. There's one spirit we need, and his name is Holy. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew your Holy Spirit in me. Because I know that if I don't go in verse 10, then verse 11, I will be cast away from your presence. Not because you, God, don't want me, but because I have allowed the wrong spirit in my life and a bad spirit, sin can't coexist with God in his presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Here he is explaining verse 10 in verse 11. Do not cast away from me your presence. Please, God, if anything I know that I need is I need your presence. I need your presence. I need your presence. And how do I get it? By your Holy Spirit, I get it. Because the second part, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Because he knows if I lose Holy Spirit or I have a false spirit in me, then I lose presence with him. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation because David knows that whatever I did in the past, if I have your Holy Spirit and a clean heart, desires of my heart become pure again, then you will restore to me the joy of your salvation, of my salvation through you. And you will uphold me by your generous spirit. How many want to be held by God's generous spirit? I'm not talking half full cup. I'm not talking three quarter full cup. I'm talking a cup that is overflowing. It's called such extreme generosity. It doesn't make sense on this human world. But you know what? When you start to live in that extreme generosity, there's going to be some people that are going to get angry at you because the wrong spirit is into their life and they're going to get jealous. They're going to get frustrated. They might even look at you as a pastor and say, pastors don't drive that kind of car. Really? I know the Bible says we should all be in one accord, but I don't want to drive an accord. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. If you have an accord, bless you. We had civics. Who says what a pastor can drive or not drive? If I live in the spirit of generosity, then maybe 
I figured out, create in me clean desire, O God, and renew your steadfast Holy Spirit in me because I'm not living away from your presence and and you're not taking your Holy Spirit away from me and you're restoring to me the joy of your salvation and, and I'm receiving your generous spirit. It's a process, it's a plan, and it's a call in our life. We're not called to be poor, poverty-minded people. When we talk about the beatitude of poor in spirit, it's the, it's the wrong spirit in you needs poverty, but the Holy Spirit is not poor. You're the Holy Spirit in you, you're not in poverty. Because poverty in the kingdom of heaven has nothing to do with your financial bank account. But what I'm teaching about in these Beatitudes is if we actually choose to be these attitudes in our life, your decision-making process will get wiser and better, and your bank accounts will automatically start to grow because you're being wiser. Or we could camp out and be distressed with all the issues and problems in my life. Oh, oh my, I can't make my car payment. I can't make my cell phone payment. I can't make my direct TV. Oh, what do they have up here? Shaw Cablevision payment. I can't make my Shaw internet maximum speed like 500 billion gigabytes that I need. Uh, uh, and my second cell phone, and my second car payment, and, 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 and I keep getting an accident, so I keep my insurance like really high, and I can't make the payment, and, and, and I bought this house because God told me to buy it, even though I didn't have a penny to afford it, and now I have a big mortgage payment, and I just can't make it, I can't make it, I can't make it, I can't make it. I'll tell you why you can't make it. Bad decisions. Somewhere we missed the B attitudes in our life. I'm not saying you just lost your job. That's where we and people around you have mercy. I'm going to help you. Your husband was just killed in a car accident. You're a single mom now looking after your children. No, no, no. That's where the mercy of the body of Christ starts to step in. But where the, the mercy doesn't, shouldn't be stepping in is you have a Lexus, brand new Lexus, or how about, what, what's a really cool, what, those electric ones, what are they called? Well, you have a new Tesla. And the payment is huge, but you're saving the environment. I won't go down that path. Yeah, um, no, I'm not going there. My daughter says, go there. Yeah. I just, I did a study on electric cars. I just did a study as to the carbon footprint to produce an electric car for a 10-year lifestyle and did a study on the carbon footprint of an average gas car in a 10-year lifestyle, and it's an interesting study. It takes a lot to produce an electric car and batteries. And we're blessed because we have electricity given to us by water. But in America, a lot of it's coal burning, diesel fired. It takes carbon to create the electricity to produce for your electric car, which has no carbon footprint, but it took, anyways, I'm sorry. Get an electric car. I'd actually love to get one just to try one out. I, I think they're quite neat. 
So if you want to give me your Tesla, give me one, please. That'd be awesome. Just the newest model with the most powerful electric motors. I want to try that one, okay? So like one motor per wheel or something. I just got to try it. But I'm just kidding. Electric is amazing. It really is. I just drive so far that it's hard to justify. Does that make sense? If you have an electric car, I'm not talking it's not good. I, please. I think electric cars are amazing. I think it's good. I dug a hole and I'm trying to get myself out. Help me, please. I don't want a bunch of emails, but if so, it's Kevin at Windward. I'm just kidding. Or Pastor John Lo No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, let's uh, send it to Pastor Willis. Willis and Linda have great grace, so. and so does Pastor John. Not that Kevin doesn't. I'm digging the hole, see? I got to stop. Stop, Brent. Stop your mind. Slow it down. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold your generous spirit in me, Father. We need a clean heart and a steadfast spirit. If we don't have verse 10, verse 11 is going to happen in our lives. Sin always separates us from God. You can't just keep a little bit of sin in your life and not expect some sort of a separation. It doesn't mean he abandons you and leaves you. God will never abandon you or leave you. He just has a hard time existing with sin in your life. There's no true happiness when we are separated from the source of all love and joy. The more sin we choose to have in our life, the less joy, true joy and happiness you'll have. Oh, the joy of the world. No, it doesn't say that. The joy of the world is my strength. No, it's not. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I tried the world when I was a backslidden teenager. Every morning it hurt. My head was pounding. <laughs> it's funny, joy for a moment, but it's not true joy. You actually, in those situations, realize you're alone. And so you drug up more or drink more because the people that you thought were friends, they just wanted to take what you were drinking or smoking or doing. It's a shallow life. Sin causes us to withdraw because of shame. That's another thing that happens in the Christian faith. Because they have a hidden sin or they're committing a sin, they don't want to talk about it with somebody because they have shame. Well, who put the shame on you? Not God. The devil does. You know what God does with sin? Forgives it. Matter of fact... He's already forgiven your sin. <laughs> he did that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He forgave both past, present, and future. Your sin is already forgiven. Doesn't mean you don't walk in the consequences of it. And it could lead you not to salvation. It could lead you to a road to hell. But your sin has already been forgiven in God's mind. Don't live shamefully. If you sin, bring it to someone. Bring it to the Father first, because he already knows. He, that you can't hide it from him. There's no way you can hide it. But I imagine when we go into those moments, he cries. Maybe his eyes turn from us. His love doesn't. 
and his forgiveness doesn't. Sin causes us to withdraw because of the shame of it. We all know when, we're, when we do right and when we do wrong. I guarantee the less wrong we do, the more you will live in the blessings and favor of him. We try to cover up our sin and put on a good face, but sin has a way of eating us up on the inside. I know many ministers that have tried to cover up their sin. And somehow or another, the secret got exposed. I know many Christians where we're all called to be ministers of the gospel cover up a sin. Ultimately, it's going to be exposed. Who it gets exposed to first is the devil and the demons. The angels and God already know it's happening. But as soon as we go down that path, that devil and demons, are, are they are chomping at the doorstep. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Sin finds us out regardless of how well we've hidden it. When we are trying to sleep, our sin is before us. When we wake, it becomes to mind again. There's no happiness in this way of living. Jesus taught that if you want true happiness, you need an attitude that turns from sin. Jesus taught... If you want true happiness, you need an attitude in you that turns from sin. Amen? Because if we don't have an attitude that turns from sin, we will have an attitude that moves towards sin because that's the attitude we were born with. But God has a new birth for us. He has a new birth for us, and we're to be birthed in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so our attitude moves towards him instead of stay in the attitude we were born in. We must confess our sin to God, and we must forgive one another. This is one of the greatest sins in the Christian movement right now is unforgiveness to somebody else. As I am studying these beatitudes, I'm learning it in my own life too. And I'm reaching out to people that have hurt me in the past or things have happened and I'm purposefully reaching out, realizing, hold it, I need to be real and completely forgive them. Forgive the people. Forgive my own self first because you know what? It wasn't all their problem. It was my problem too. We need to have a life transformation, an understanding, a transforming attitude in us. Confessing and not forgiving, that's not optional. If you say, Jesus, I confess my sin to you, but you don't forgive someone around you. You can't have that in your life. It doesn't mean you... Forgiveness is agreement of that problem. Absolutely not. Just because I forgive someone doesn't mean that I am in agreement with what they did wrong. Not at all. I just have to choose to forgive them. 
Because if I don't forgive, there's a deep little tinging in my desire of my heart to see them not succeed. I'm preaching to myself right now. And when I started to realize in my own life that there was a hint of a desire in my own heart that didn't want them to, to, to succeed in their ministry or succeed in what they're doing because they hurt me. I'm a sinner. I had to get on my hands and knees. I had to cry out to God, forgive me, Father. And I felt like the Lord said, I have forgiven you, but have you forgiven them? This is the only way to have a pure heart and see God. This is the only way we can truly start to live beatitude number six. And we need a pure heart. And that's a daily process. You can't live on your understanding of a pure heart from 10 years ago. There's not anyone in this room Anyone watching on TV right now, there's not anyone that can say, I have a 100% pure heart. It doesn't mean you shouldn't aim for it, though. I aim for it. I want pure, the desires of my heart to be pure. I don't want the desires of this world. I want the desires of my heart to be Him in His presence because I know if I live in his presence I get a renewed mind a transformed mind and it allows me to to forgive and accept people for who they are not by what they did or not by what they said but by who God created them to be when I look at you all I look at my own life I don't want to be known for my problems and my wrongs. I want to be known for what God's future is in me. You say, oh, you want to be known? You must be a prideful man. Oh, no. Because if I live a God-filled life and you know me and that's me, then you're going to see God in me. say a debt of gratitude we owe something to our fathers we need to forgive our dads and the desire of our heart needs to enter into a purity So we can walk with an expectation that his will is being done in our life. There could be some in this place right now that maybe need to give their dad a call and tell him you love him. Maybe you haven't said it for a long time. Doesn't mean you love the problems or the issues. Just means you love him with the love of Jesus in you. 
Mother's Day is the fourth amount of cards sold in North America. We made the number four. It's not bad. I think Christmas was number one and Mother's Day was number two. I don't know what number three was like save the trees or get the cat or I don't know but we made number four out of four. I'm just kidding. No, I have no idea how many out of. What was it, number four? Someone said something. Oh, Valentine's Day could be. I really don't know. But I know we were number four. The most amount of long-distance phone calls was on Mother's Day. But dads need love, too. And we need to raise a culture. culture that produces good fathers not perfect ones but good ones I think there's a lot of good fathers out there people say it's a fatherless generation you hear what I always tend to say uh, it could be a sonless generation there could be a lot of good fathers but because they're a good father they've just gone quiet
in this valley, in this region, in this nation, in the nations of this world. I hear the word over and over again. Fathers, rise up. Fathers, rise up. Let go of the hurt, let go of the pain, and let go of the offense. They are your children. Love them. See, these are, in a vision right now, these incredibly powerful warriors. many human men trying to pull these arrows and spears out of their back but they can't reach it, it's too far back and I see sons and daughters going up to that father from the back saying dad let me pull it out for you Not have been arrows from you, could have been arrows from his job, could have been arrows from somebody else, who knows what it was all from. But I know one thing, Lord. You destined mothers and fathers to rise up. gave us a perfect example of a godly father. There's a movement. I can see it. It's shifting. Even right now, something's changing. When we were in my office praying before the service today, Kevin mentioned something. He says, I feel like it's a new year. It's like the first day of January, but yet here we are in June. And I didn't realize everything was being, that was being said at that moment, but I realize it now. I'm going to celebrate a new year in my attitude, in my life as a dad, as a father. I'm going to prophesy a little bit just what I hear and what I see.
gave me a word during worship. He said, I don't know how to take this, but we can be praising and worshiping God through our singing, and we can be praising and worshiping God through our stillness. Didn't understand it till now. two choices. One, you can live in the depression and the problems that you failed in. Or two, you can forgive and change your life and go to your children. Go to the people around you and love on them. God didn't destine you men to be failures. He didn't destine us men to be the lessers. Yes, men and women are created equal in the eyes of God, absolutely. But men and women have diversities and differences. You're born a man, you're a man, as far as my Bible says. Be proud, be honorable of it. Celebrate it. For that is your destiny, says the Lord. Women, let's help empower the men again. Let's help empower them. Men, let's help empower each other to be the men of God that we're called to be. Let not society knock us down. Let's stand on the word of God as men of God after his heart in our lives. Let's all stand. Men and women stand. Father, we thank you for every man in this place. I thank you, Father, that you are calling us higher as men into a higher standard in our lifestyle the higher living of your holiness in us. And I pray, Lord God, that, that we as men will, will become leaders in our homes, that we will be leaders in the churches, we'll be leaders in our businesses, we'll be leaders in the families, 
That doesn't mean that women can't lead. You hear what I'm saying? We all are born to be leaders. We're all called to be leaders. Not one race or the other. Not one sex or the other. We're called to lead. But we need our men to rise up and be the mighty men of valor that they're called to be. To be the mighty men of worship. To be the mighty men of holiness, the mighty men of purity, the mighty men of the word of God. I guarantee you, our society will be thankful for it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me the right spirit, O you, Holy Spirit, you, Holy Spirit. If your dad's beside you or your husband, just put your hands on him. I'm just kidding. I'm pro-marriage, okay? So, What a great place to find your future spouses in a like-minded body of believers, amen? It's a beautiful thing. People say, don't go to Bible college for your spouse. I'm like, man, go to Bible college and look. <laughs> not in temptation because you won't do that God but deliver us because you're the deliverer deliver us from that evil one for yours is the kingdom yours is the power yours is the glory and you sent your son Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again to bring us that kingdom power, the kingdom glory, and the kingdom authority. Holy Spirit, fill us. Let this family have a movement of mighty men, I ask, Father. And let the men rise up, all age groups rising up together. It's interesting. I just see us, a whole bunch of us men camping at a lake doing some fishing amen let's let's get some men together and let's plan something I was going to say the wives could come out and cook I'm just kidding come on 
Remove that thought, that spirit in your mind right now that you just want to get mad at me. Nah, we can cook. We know how to do hot dogs on fires. I actually really know how to do Chinese food. It's wonderful. I order it. And I order enough to hold me over for a few days so I can survive a camping trip. Amen. And I use paper plates so I don't waste the water. That's why, right? Just kidding. <laughs> You're such a good God. I hear the Lord's booming voice in the supernatural realm. And I created you men good. And all the people said, Amen. Love your dad today. Give him a hug. Give him a call. If you don't have a dad, find a dad.